This is the Pain Information Network, and this is Episode 3. Hello, everybody, and uh, thanks for tuning in, Episode 3. Last week, uh, I had the opportunity to have Andrea Truscott on, and it was a really good discussion on headaches, pain, and she's our uh, Women's Health Advisor and Editor. I have today, and I'm um, really glad I could snag snag him. He's a tremendous guy. John Swicegood, MD, out of uh, Fort Smith, Arkansas. He uh, is an expert on chronic pain and wellness, and we're going to talk about that. He's a seasoned expert. He's he's a frontline physician. His waiting room is packed. That says it all, and has been for as long as I've known him. And he's he's our common sense guy. He's our common sense editor. Um, I've enjoyed John's real life approach to complex problems and. He and his wife, Cindy, run a first-class pain clinic the way it should be run. He looks at things as evidence-based. Um, it's not always easy to hold off what sounds like the latest and greatest until you get a sense, is it the latest and greatest? He has, he has, a, he has a knack to picking what works and doesn't work. I'll also get to share with you um, a little later on the other side of the interview about a trip we had to Baltimore. Uh, you, you really want to you really want to hear about this. Um, we met with uh, Medicare. That's where Medicare is uh, located uh, on a national level at, in Baltimore. And John um, took the room and put the room in the palm of his hands. Uh, it's going to be fun talking about that. But uh, let's talk to John. Uh, John is uh, <laughs> taking his first day off today in weeks and we're we're so happy we have him um and so i won't won't delay any longer here's dr john swicegood we have with us today dr john swicegood md a practicing uh physician who is in fort smith arkansas hi john hello yeah john uh tell us a little bit about yourself uh well uh i uh Went to uh, Texas A&M and uh, went uh, for my undergraduate Bachelor of Science and uh, did postgraduate training, University of Texas School of Pharmacy. I went on to medical school at University of Texas San Antonio, trained in trauma surgery for one year, and then transferred into anesthesiology, subspecializing in uh, pain management, uh, and then uh, fellowship. Uh, in interventional pain practice certified by the World Institute of Pain and the American uh, Board of Interventional Pain Practice. Yeah, I, so I, that's kind of me. Yeah, um, I, I kind of let in your, your, you are an expert in practice of pain medicine. I look up to you, and uh, we've had some uh, tremendous conversations about this topic. So, John, um, we're going to be talking about uh, wellness today, how it affects our patient, how it uh, interferes with our ability to make that that final nudge that we need uh, to get people's uh, life in order, better quality of life, less medications. You, I, I guess you know pretty much what I'm talking about. Chronic pain and wellness go hand in hand. Um, so what is wellness? Well, you know, it's first, um, it, it's, it's many things to many people, but it's, it's sorely lacking in our culture. And I, I think I could just boil it down to say that is the, the desire and the commitment uh, to pursue um, mental and physical fitness, and I think that it's 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 a, a an important component to overcoming any type of chronic pain issue. I'd just like to separate something out: is that we're really 
these things work whether you, you have uh, acute pain either from injury or operative, post-operative. Uh, if you're talking about, uh, unfortunately, uh, cancer pain, whether it be uh, uh, an indolent type of uh, progressive uh, pain from cancer or, or, or very severe. But so much of uh, America, it's some estimates 100 million people have uh, pain uh, over three months that really defies conservative care. And so wellness uh, is something that that needs to be incorporated into any uh, pain care plan. I agree with you. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, it is tough to take a patient who maybe a little overweight, has diabetes, uh, smokes cigarettes, um, comes to us with uh, what we call comorbid diseases. Uh, you know, this diabetes is a tough one in itself. Um, you know, we have to tackle those things before we can make some of the leaps we want to make. So what does wellness have to do with chronic pain? Well, you know, first, everybody's experience is, is uniquely different. And it's every pain, every, every person that comes to you with chronic pain, regardless of the ideology, is unique. And, and the signature of pain to them goes back to, like, their psychosocial development. And I really think that, that it starts in childhood experiences. And I think that when we're young, it's very easy to overcome things. And regenerative healing occurs uh, pretty predictably. But unfortunately, and of course, even in, in pediatric populations, chronic pain exists. Wellness comes into play because it is very hard to overcome any type of illness when, as you mentioned, you have, uh, say, lifestyle habits such as uh, smoking or excessive alcohol, or you really have a very poor diet, which I would like to talk about. Um, and these uh, lifestyle uh, choices have to be modulated if a person wants to optimize their health. And, and I'd like to add one thing, um, you know, Hans, is that people, when when something happens that they don't get over, it's often bewildering because uh, it doesn't take long for a health problem to exhaust anyone's resources. And I think that one of the problems we have in our culture is that if you have something easy, uh, relatively, if something, if there's a medical problem that's rel relatively easily addressed, then everyone wants to help you. But when you end up with a problem that is a difficult problem or doesn't have an easy answer, it doesn't take long for your resources to be exhausted and very few people out there to help you. So I, I think that there's a, a lot of things that um, we kind of intuitively know about how we live our lives. I, I think that it's important that that people that have chronic pain seek someone that can give them a pain care plan that fits to their peculiar circumstance, but it has to really be goal-directed. And I think that, that people that have chronic pain, it's important that they ask themselves, what, where, where do they want to go with their lives? And, and that's a, another topic um, that I, I might discuss if we have time as well. Yeah, we have plenty of time. I, I call them benchmarks. I, I like to know what my patients are thinking about three, six, nine, and 12 months uh, from now. And actually, yeah, I tell them to, to write some things down that are re reasonable, realistic, and put them on the refrigerator. And at three months, let's look and see what you've done. Are you walking, say, around the track at the local high school? Are you doing more fun things? You're getting out, you're socializing. These are, these are really important things because patients with chronic pain um, think the light at the end of the tunnel is a truck. And it doesn't have to be. Uh, they become very internal. They lose their socialization. And 
it uh, unfortunately is a spiral, and that's our that's our goal because. As you know, some people with chronic pain are more adaptive and fulfilled than others. And and can you comment on that? Oh, I think you're absolutely right, Hans. That's that's a great, great uh, uh, direction to put people. I, I think what I see really often are by the time people come to us, and we truly are the last line of defense, they're often you, you find uh, people never depressed in their life. They're depressed or frustrated. There's a lot of anxiety. And I think that chronic pain is a lightning rod of bringing out a lot of negative things that, you know, prior to, to pain people may have been dealing with. I think that the toughest thing is the circumstances that people find themselves in where they just don't have the resources maybe to have an optimal uh, care plan. And that's why it does take a lot of sensitivity to people that may come in. Let's say they're overweight. It's not as easy as just lose weight, get on a 2,000 calorie exactly. diet, etc. Exactly. It's it's really about trying to define, like for example, take it, sometimes people forget very obvious things. Like for example, what what is it that what what kind of people are we dealing with? Like for example, I I will often ask somebody like um, questions that, that give me an idea of their state of mind. Like, for example, uh, do you, what, what makes you happy? You know, what, what, uh, what is happiness? It's very interesting. I may have study about happiness and a lot of money went into it. It's a very simple thing. And I think it's, 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 it's important in this conversation in the context that, that happiness is like, uh, having meaningful relationships, friend and family, uh, it was it was found that it was being content with your possessions. It was found to be optimistic. It was found that if you had a passion or a purpose, that it was important. And the last thing was living in the moment. So if you take those things and you look at somebody who comes to you in chronic pain and, and, and they're in a very frustrated circumstance, you begin to use that framework of how can you use those things to get somebody from, uh, from say, point A to point B. And, you know, as, as physicians, you know, we're, we're taught pathophysiology and structural basis of disease. And I think that I, I want to back up and say one thing about chronic pain is that one, one thing we're trained to do is, is that we, we take somebody and we listen to their story and then we track down every record, we track down their studies, we look at what has worked, what has failed. And, and, and again, there are circumstances that first that I really explore are, are the psychodynamic. I'm very interested if they're depressed or anxious. I'm interested if, if they've been demoralized. I'm interested if they really have a, a goal of, of mental well-being and that that's the first thing I explore secondly I want to know something about like for example their diet and I think that wellness and anti-inflammatory diets is really critical these diets are expensive I think that when you talk to somebody about uh, a, a diet that may be a very poor protein very high in concentrated carbohydrates that's uh, lacking uh, the appropriate um, for example when you look at uh, fat in the diet, you know, it's interesting, Hans, I was reading about trans fats. Trans fats uh, essentially is where it's a process of, of ejecting uh, hydrogen molecules into a, 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 some, a, a fat that might be liquid at room temperature, making it uh, firm like lard. And these trans fats, just 2% uh, trans uh, 
uh, in the diet is like a 23% uh, increase in heart disease. Right. And uh, a Harvard study I found this, and that's why the government was trying to get these out. When you're looking at saturated fats, I think that they're not maybe as harmful as earlier thought, but they have to be kept in a very low proportion uh, compared to, say, uh, your, your uh, monounsaturated polyunsaturated fats. And just one comment, the unsaturated, uh, 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 your, basically your, your uh, 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 monounsaturated fats uh, is a good example. It would be like olive oil, and these things have been shown to really uh, uh, lower your uh, low-density uh, lipoproteins. Uh, uh, you'll find a lot of these in vegetables, nuts, seeds, and fish. Uh, and just one comment on the uh, polyunsaturates. These are essential oils, and these things, uh, it's, it's, we have to have them in our diet, and primarily they're omega-3 and omega-6, and uh, these have been shown to be anti-inflammatory and very, very useful uh, in uh, correcting our blood chemistries and uh, giving us energy and uh, better metabolism. The problem that you run into with a lot of things you see in the American diet is that when we take in foodstuffs, it undergoes oxidative metabolism, and these byproducts, uh, as we age, we don't deal with them as well, and they're all inflammatory. And so the first thing I try to do with people is, if they're able to, is to begin to modulate their diet, because you take someone with diabetes, it's going to improve their uh, insulin resistance. It's going to improve uh, the uh, calorie balance, and these these things are our process, and so to back up a little bit, when someone comes in, just as you said, when you're looking three months, six months, nine months a year out, you, you develop a, a life plan that really is part of their pain care plan. So wellness would be looking at the psychodynamics and trying to address that as best possible, and then looking really at what are they able to do in regard to wellness and a way of diet and exercise they can tolerate. Now, one thing that we do as interventional pain physicians is try to understand, again, the medical disorder, how can we relieve the pain so those first things are possible. So I, I think that that's probably my thought process about the, about the topic of wellness. Yeah, it, you couldn't have nailed it more clearly. The problem we have is, um, first of all, physicians are not policemen. Second of all, we can't be with you every hour of the day. Third, unfortunately, we're time pressured, just like every other physician. We want to sit with you. We want to give you lots of time, but uh, realities are um, there's not a lot of us, and we sometimes have an access problem with our patients. So we need to take in information. We need to process it and get you to a better place, and we have to do it very efficiently. So. When I say to somebody, you know, every pound counts, you got to lose a little bit of weight, how can we help with that? Or, yeah, we need to help you quit smoking. We have to have more than just a comment. We have to have something, some kind of foundation behind it. So when you say, would you please try to cut down on the cigarettes, you give them benchmarks. You don't just say quit. You know, go buy a patch and quit. You can't do that. It just doesn't work. So chronic pain sufferers do improve their life experience and when they work collaboratively with the pain physician and in particularly uh, the way you're describing um, they they get to a better place tell me about that well I think you hit it on the head I mean when someone comes in obviously it's just a snapshot you know and I think that again people by the time that they 
they get to ask, they've waited a while, they've seen a lot of specialists, a lot of doctors, and their pain can be from a variety of reasons, and some of those are ongoing problems. Let's say it's from trauma, and they may have fractures, maybe they're going through surgeries, and sometimes like it with uh, cancer, they're, they have ongoing radiotherapy or chemotherapy, etc. There's just, everyone is unique, but what you want to do is try to inspire a plan that someone can follow, and, and I think that, it, it's 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 unique for each person but it just has to be reasonable and it has to be something that they want because um most of the time when people come homes they they failed in efforts to quit smoking or they failed in in diets Mm -hmm. that that they couldn't adhere to and sometimes the the social circumstances are difficult i mean i see things like in western arkansas all the time there would be uh say a small frame or a medium frame uh, female midlife and she drives a, a forklift, single mother of three, and the forklift is just literally creating havoc on spine, uh, joints. Uh, at the end of the day, she's beat. It's the only thing that puts foot on the table for her kids. I can't just say, well, you know, quit driving the forklift and you'll feel better. And so you have to just work with people uh, in their circumstance life circumstance to be successful and so it's it's a process and a journey and it's unique for everyone and um i i think that that mostly like in my practice we try to get them to uh support uh groups or even uh uh if they're kind of internet uh savvy there's so many things like fibromyalgia has a numerous uh websites and support sites and local support groups and many many disorders have other people that can really you know help uh uh, provide a community and, and support to, to help people along. I, I think the main thing is that people uh, don't realize that the the lifestyle that we've grown up with is really, for the most part in America, is is pretty unhealthy. And you know, I'm, I've been part of it. I mean, uh, I'm I'm 60 years old, and you know, it wasn't until the the second half of my life that I began to realize that many of the habits I had, many of the things that I did, were very unhealthy. And um, and I think that this still permeates uh, our society. And there's a lot of unhealthy behaviors. There's a lot of things that people do that have some very bad consequences. And I think they all lead to a lot of unhappiness uh, in in the family and in our community. In in a bigger picture, I mean, I I would like to see really in our schools, I mean, in primary school, I mean, I'd like to see children taught wellness, respect for one another, for their neighbor, for their community. I I think um, you see this in some, some countries where it's been done for some time. I'll give you an example, Hans. I was in France uh, last year, and I was very uh, interested. If you rent a car and you drive, especially in the south of France, you'll you'll see people on scooters and and, uh, motorcycles just uh, weaving in and out all around you. And yet, when you see this, nobody is, you know, uh, upset. Uh, The drivers are not checking their fist. Uh, uh, It's part of their lifestyle. But what's interesting is how people looked out for them. Rather than being aggressive and and expressing anger, uh, you know, the way they drive and being frustrated, they actually kind of looked out for one another. And I got to thinking about that in the sense that, you know, if the two, if if the motorcycle driver and the car driver met, they may not say a word to one another or be somewhat
somewhat indifferent, but yet at the same time, neither one wants harm to the other. And I think in our society, it, it would be nice to see a little bit of that where, you know, we we kind of look out, look out for one another and have a little bit more respect for ourselves and our neighbor. And I and I, again, I think this is just an, an evolutionary change that needs to take place over time. But it does impact pain because if you, the healthier the society, then the less chronic pain that's going to, have to be dealt with. No, you're right. You know, in, in Western uh, or American culture, uh, fosters failure over success for chronic pain sufferers. I think you'd agree with that. I can tell you, I feel, I feel it when I go into a room and a patient looks at me um, and feels not shame but disappointment that they aren't any better and that um, they haven't lost any weight or they haven't cut down on the smoking, et cetera. The things I ask them to do... Um, and I don't want them to feel guilty. I want them to say, okay, it's, I, I hate this term, a journey, but it, it's a journey uh, to culture or foster uh, success over failure because these pain patients, uh, chronic pain patients, as many of them know, are um, as much anxious about where they are as they're frustrated where they are, and they don't need, need either. What do you think? Well, yeah, I think it, that it brings out the worst in people. I think that, you know, again, it goes back to motivational things. I mean, I think that it's, you know, it, it really, you know, when people come in, they, they have to want to get better hands. And, and there are a lot of people that develop a lot of psychological issues that, they can't see getting better and failure becomes reinforcing and it's almost a, a, a mechanism of control and I'm not a psychiatrist and I'll leave it to them to comment further but I think what we need to do is trying to offer hope to people and offer a way and then beyond that it's it's kind of goes back again to how the American culture perceives illness because it's very unique. It's almost very uniquely American for people to be so passive about having something wrong and expecting very quick and very fast answers. And we live in such a fast-paced, chaotic world now. People want, want a pill. They want a surgery. They want something fast. And they a lot of people want to be better than they were. And I think that when, you know, things become, uh, uh, when people fall into the gaps and when they don't do well and when they don't fit in their employment any longer and they get let go and there's family problems, dysfunction, economic hardships, I think that it's very important to try to offer these people a way out. And and I again sometimes failure can be reinforcing. And I again it, it it's it's just it's just very very important to define a way, uh, and that's sometimes all we can do. I agree. Yeah, it's a a good segue into um, uh, the next uh, section that I had that I promised in the uh, uh, last uh, podcast that we're going to talk a little bit about medications, but. I'll, I'll get into the different classes of medication by Rule 4, uh, the benzodiazepines, the opioids, and we'll get into all of that. But I want to I start with somebody like you that, that gets wellness on 
what some of these, uh, quote, experts uh, think about natural cures. You know, the ginger for nausea, valerian root for pain, turmeric, et cetera. They're, they're buzzes. You know, we see and hear about them, uh, Dr. Osh or wherever. Um, and some of your comments about those, uh, those options, because I find them uh, to be supported by studies with very poor methodology that uh, is uh, – uh, making the fallacy of false generalization. In other words, I think it, therefore it is. Or the placebo effect is strong. Um, I don't really have a problem with people taking some of these natural cures, but not all of them are naturally safe. Uh, I think of St. John's wort and some problems we have on the anesthesia side. Uh, what do you think? Well, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not actually an area that I have a great deal of expertise in. I'm can tell you that many of these supplements, like you said, are poorly studied. Uh, they're expensive, and some of them have some significant health risk. Um, many of these uh, compounds, they're not a single compound. Sometimes there's alkaloids, right. uh, hundreds of different alkaloids that have different effects. They can dislodge uh, protein binding. They can change the function of certain metabolic enzymes and certain medications that someone is on may have been stable until there's either enzyme induction or uh, enzyme inhibition resulting in changing pre-fraction uh, drug concentrations. And so really, you know, when, when people are on these things, um, I just try to... Um, get some some idea usually um, over the internet uh, which I try to find a source that, that can educate me a little bit because many of these things are, are changing to me almost every day there's a new supplement but uh, I kind of like to get people to go back to basic things and again I, I just sort of focus more on uh, uh, the, the things that I'm, I am familiar with and that is trying to I, again, focus on, on, on diet and on spine and core uh, strength, uh, uh, the physical uh, aspect uh, of wellness, uh, again, and we, we talked a little bit about the psychological. I think in regard to uh, pharmaceutical, you know, I mean, the, the old World Health Organization really talked a lot about the use of medications, and I basically think the trend is more toward non-narcotic uh, uh, use for chronic pain as much as possible. And, uh, you know, I recognize that there is uh, conditions that just there are, are just so few successful modalities of treatment that uh, – uh, these medications have a place, but I think in general it's being recognized that the use of uh, opiates indiscriminately has led to some huge problems. And again, I've, I've always felt that in many people, opiates were treating uh, anxiety and, and depression more than anything. But World Health Organization did a pretty good job talking about the use and the, the step ladder of pain where uh, mild non-narcotic agents such as acetaminophen within certain limits was used and uh, the next step was your non-steroidal anti-inflammatories and again understanding that the risk of GI, renal, etc. and bleeding and they're certainly not for everyone but again 
all these drugs have a price, and we're, we're simply looking at risk uh, and, and benefit ratios. Uh, I think uh, you moved, uh, you know, that people are looking at the topical agents, and we look at injections, and there are certain uh, what we call DMARDs or disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs and uh, medications. And uh, there are many things that people can try to apply, but again, the end goal is improving stamina and function. You know, lastly, I, I think, you know, what you want to try to do is ask somebody, you know, to try to get conditioned to what they're trying to do. I mean, I use the example of the girl on the forklift, and I think that, that even that individual can strengthen herself and she can, can modulate how she goes about that job to make it more successful and less of a, of a, of a risk and a peril to her. So, not to digress away from your original question, but, you know, I, I'm not really impressed with a lot of, of, of natural uh, supplements because of, of the many unknowns, and I think there are specialists uh, uh, in this field that, that can come at better than myself, And um, but uh, I, I think in general, when people have serious uh, chronic uh, pain and the underlying disorder can be, as I said, from so many different uh, uh, reasons that it's best to try to understand that pathology, what's been done about it, what's been tolerated, what's not been tolerated, and how can we get someone into an active, healthy lifestyle so that we can diminish the pain to a manageable level as safely as possible, and I think that's that's the, the, the end game. That's, a, that's exactly why I asked ask you about these, is yeah. as a practice practical answer to um, a complex problem. We're pill and procedure society. Um, and I'm often not uh, uh, told what everybody is taking um, that I see that day. And I might have started somebody on a medication that I know has a drug interaction, and I bring up St. John's words, uh, wort. <laughs> and um, I need to know these things. Um, yeah, but patients don't think they're toxic at all. So a word of caution on that to everybody is tell us everything you're taking. And what you may think is benign may not be benign when I start uh, piling on other things. Well, it's very true. And, I, you know, again, about the... The natural substances, they, there's a lot of claims made about a good many things. And I, I think there's something to be said. For example, you know, I've read some interesting things about the extract of broccoli, it being an important uh, uh, neural uh, nutrient, uh, certainly one of the, the, the brain foods that's been investigated. There's, there's, there's many components that when they're looking uh, at antioxidants and uh, components of uh, that are essentially in foodstuff or in natural substances, but not every natural substance is is a health substance. And again, there there are people that are absolute experts in this field, and I and I think that just given my background in education, that I think that. You know, I try to stay with what I know, and I, and I certainly respect what I need. Perhaps I, I don't know a lot about, and so that's when I try to make that very clear to patients that this is what I know, but this is what I don't know a lot about, and we just try to find the answer. But in the end, it, it's it's important to keep things simple, and I think goal-directed. And back to wellness, I think the most important thing that we can do is inspire people that there is hope to getting better. 
that pain makes up our human history throughout time that it's 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 interesting i'll comment quickly about pain how when it goes away isn't it interesting hans how there's such a poor memory of it yeah i think that's i think that's why women would never have another baby if they could actually remember it you know uh, the way it was (laughs) and uh i think that um what we want to do is diminish it to a point where people can really see that they can can resume uh, you know activities and enjoy life uh, the way that they hadn't been able to before they came to see us and lastly i i, I keep thinking of this remark that napoleon made and and he it's it's one of the things i think of all the time and napoleon once said that defeat begins in the mind of the enemy and i think that what we have to do is is the first thing is to make sure that people understand that like when I talked about happiness that they can find that again and that people can find you know a function and activity and and their life has has is worth you know is really worth living again and that they can can do a good many things despite maybe significant disabilities or significant uh, pain disorders and so we, we don't want that that defeat to begin you know we don't want the mind to capitulate you know you, you've got to you've got to not let pain you know be your enemy and and I'd like to say one other thing Hans is that you know there's a moment when when humans wake up in the morning there's just a split second when the mind is disconnected from the physical body and at that exact moment if you'll tell yourself that you know it's going to be a great day and that you know that your body is going to have less pain before you're aware of that pain hitting you i think you're ahead of the game i think if a person awakens and all the pain and problems present themselves and then you begin to think about it and deal with it you're behind the curve so i really encourage everybody to get as centered as possible about about winning and and that's a a, a psychological battle and then i've always said wherever the mind goes the body follows yeah i couldn't agree with you more i uh love the common sense approach uh i love the wellness idea and uh next time uh, we talk maybe we could expand a little on um different patient scenarios maybe um that diabetic that has tremendous neuropathy or that yeah. uh, individual with spine pain that's overweight what do we do with that but um I appreciate uh, you taking a little time with us today. And uh, Dr. Swisegood, uh, um, practical knowledge went out every time, would you say? <laughs> That's very kind of you. Yeah. And uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, I look forward to other um, opportunities to speak about some of the things that we do and some of the more severe disorders that we treat. Well, you will. You're a common sense editor. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Best of all. Uh, Take care. So, as promised, I'm going to tell you a little story about uh, Dr. Swisegood and his wife, Cindy. Fantastic people. So imagine this. So we're uh, going to Baltimore, and we're going to meet with a pretty senior Medicare executive. Uh, Okay, try again. Uh, As promised. Okay, try again. As promised, uh, imagine this scenario. We're going to Baltimore. We're all 
piling in this um, SUV, and we drive up from Washington, D.C., where we had a meeting. So Dr. Swicegood, his wife Cindy, and a few other um, executive members from American Society of Interventional Pain Physicians, including myself, are going up to the Medicare headquarters, which is in Baltimore. There will be linked in uh, to other folks and meeting with a high-level Medicare official. Our purpose is access to care. Our purpose is to preserve a number of uh, issues that weigh heavy on the pain management community and ultimately on access by patients for appropriate relief. Okay, we sit down. <clears throat> we're, we're linked in with these big LCD flat screen TVs. Um, we are sitting there in a very tight area that high sec- has high security. Uh, there are scribes, people taking notes, and we each had a presentation. We each had a few minutes in a one-hour meeting to lay forth our concerns in our case. Uh, our leader gave his, and it was articulate. It was really good, well-prepared. Time for Dr. Swicegood. The meeting went from six or seven people to really Dr. Swicegood, his wife, Cindy, and their true and very sincere discussions with Medicare about access to care, about taking care of people, just helping people. I looked up at the flat screen TV. No one's taking notes remotely. No one's taking notes in the room. They're just all leaning forward, listening to John and Cindy. That meeting was <clears throat> that meeting was the truth because it was common sense, and common sense is you take care of people. It's not what procedure. It's not what test to order. It's not some highly technical scenario that we have to put patients through. It's very costly. It comes down to common sense. He had the room. So you just heard from a real common sense guy. Really important information, and I thank him for it. Now, that's going to about do it for the show, and please leave some type of review at iTunes, uh, Good, Bad, and Ugly. We just want the show to go better, do better, and provide you with information. This is an informational show. Talk things over with a qualified professional. And qualified is going to be discussed in future podcasts, but for right now, look for those board certifications. Look for those credentials. I, I'm also going to invite Andrea back because uh, by popular demand, her show was uh, full of uh, responses and questions and some very positive feedback. So I look forward to that and maybe look for that posted either later this week or next week. And thanks again for joining us on the Pain Information Network.